You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. We do realize that it's August tomorrow, correct? Normally, August is the hottest month, and I'm starting to wonder what the temperature of combustion actually is. If you've stepped outside, hopefully you've not stepped outside too much, but it happens and none of us are going to be ready for August. Here's praying for some rain, right? Pray with me as we start this morning. Now, Lord, may we hear what you want us to hear, that we may do what you want us to do, that we may be who you want us to be. In the name of Jesus, who calls us, we pray. Amen. Operacion. San Andres. Every year since 2005, my wife Jill and I have gone to Peru until that is 2020 when the world shut down and COVID stopped these trips. I was fortunate in 2005 to be on staff at a church in Houston when a member of the church, a cardiologist who was from Lima, Peru, began to dream of a ministry on the outskirts of Lima, right at the base of the Andes Mountains. That dream became Operacion San Andres. This doctor had grown up in Lima, and while in secondary school there, he wrote a paper about a shantytown named Coyique. He wrote about the people who were there in ways in which the government could help these people who were coming from the mountains but couldn't afford to make it all the way into Lima. These people who would stop and claim their plot of land on the mountain and begin to put together a life of their own. And all these years later, this doctor and a few friends made the first trips to Coyique, which were medical and dental in nature. These Peruvians did not have access to either at the time, so this was exactly what they needed. These few doctors and dentists found a spot to call home for the week and would serve as many people as they could in the time that they had. Since then, this ministry has grown to include meals for children, for their families, work for adults, supplemental education for these children, vocational training that would allow them to earn a living for their families, etc., 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 and it keeps going even today. That first time I stepped off the bus in Coyique, I could smell what I thought was desperation. But... I soon learned that what I was smelling was actually joy. These with little were so joyful to show you their home, which were simply pieces of cardboard and maybe a few pieces of wood they had found to put together some sort of structure. What I had assumed was desperation was riches. What I had assumed was despair was love for each other and for us. The Americans who could afford to fly down to Peru have a place with an actual roof over our heads and a bus to drive us somewhat comfortably from our small hotel to Coyique, a 21-mile, hour-and-a-half bus ride. Jill and I have been to Lima and Coyique about 20 times now. Those moments have changed and continue to form me. Anytime I feel the idolatry of greed jump up, I'll remember back to my friends in Coyique, Peru, 
who have so much less than we do and are far richer than we are. Which reminds me of our gospel text for today in Luke 12. Prior to this passage in Luke 12, there are some very interesting things happening with Jesus. At the end of chapter 11, Jesus takes great interest, as he often does, in denouncing the Pharisees. He was invited to a dinner with an unnamed Pharisee where Jesus didn't wash his hands prior to sitting down. And all COVID implications put aside, Jesus was making a point. The Pharisee then jumped into the deep end of the pool and showed his amazement that Jesus did not wash his hands. The Pharisee who asked for this, and Jesus gave it to him. You Pharisees watch, wash the outside of the cup in the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. When he left the dinner, the Pharisees were, surprise, surprise, hostile toward him and lay in wait to catch him in something he might say. And then we shift to chapter 12 in Luke. And we see that a crowd has gathered around Jesus a crowd that was big enough that Luke tells us they began to trample on one another. There were so many people. And as he often does when a crowd gathers around him, he turns to the inner circle first. And he says to those disciples, beware of those Pharisees. And then he begins to tell a litany of stories. And beginning in verse 13 is our gospel passage for today. We read this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, the crowd, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink. Be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is, Jesus says, with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is a parable about priorities that have gotten mixed up. In these few short verses, we have someone jumping out of the crowd to claim Jesus is an estate judge. And as per usual, Jesus doesn't go for the bait. He doesn't answer the question, but he takes this man down a trail that this man never wanted to be on. One of judgment, perhaps. It seems to me that Jesus wants to show the crowds that what is most important to them may not actually be 
all that important. It's about priorities, and the parable helps make Jesus' point clear. By all indications, this rich farmer would be considered a great success both in the world of Jesus and in our world today. If his crops are too great for his current storage abilities and he needs to create bigger barns, that means he's had a bumper crop or two, I would think. He has enough for his life. I'm not sure what their storage looks like, but if you can have enough grain for your entire life, it seems that those barns would need to be a tad big. Unlike other parables in Luke, where the main character comes to a decision point and decides to change direction, this rich farmer comes to the decision point and continues on the path he's already chosen, accumulate, 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 with no thought of those around him. And as you do, I'm sure I have questions. Questions like, what about all the workers who helped him have these bumper crops and these enormous barns? In this parable with about 60 total words, the words I and my are found about 15 times. Martin Luther King Jr. preached one of my favorite sermons entitled, When Jesus Called a Man a Fool. And in that sermon, he said these words, quote, This man was a fool because he said I and my so much until he lost the capacity to say we and our. He failed to realize that he couldn't do anything by himself. This man talked like he could build the barns by himself, like he could till the soil by himself. And he failed to realize that wealth is always a result of the common wealth, end quote. Reminding us that this parable speaks not only to individual priorities, but also to populations as a whole. In a world where the labor income lost is nearly the same amount as the global billionaires increased their wealth in 2020, it seems like we have a significant problem. In a world where the richest 1% own almost 46% of the world's wealth, we may have a significant problem. Between 2009 and 2018, the number of billionaires it took to equal the wealth of the world's poorest 50% fell from 380 to 26 billionaires, equaling the wealth of the world's poorest 50%. We live in an era of ever-increasing wealth inequality, and solutions have been offered. You know these, you've heard these, you've seen these. Things like taxing the top 1% to make investment in things like affordable health care, job training, vocational education, improved basic education. Things like raising the minimum wage. Things like an improved infrastructure, not only in transportation, but opening up broadband internet to the 40% of those in the rural population who do not have it. While some of these and many others have been offered and not taken, I think we'd all agree it's important that we continue to fight for income equality. What are our priorities? And another question for us this morning may be, how much is enough? How much can we really use? Now, this story could be more legend than truth, but it's said that when oil tycoon John D. Rockefeller was asked by a reporter how much wealth would finally be enough, he answered, just a little bit more. At one point, 
as one man, Rockefeller held 1% of the U.S. economy's wealth. He was also someone, by the way, who gave tremendous amounts of money to charities who helped those who were not able to make their own fortunes. How much is enough? Augustine commented about this rich fool in our parable. He did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his barns. Today we have a storage industry and an anxiety industry and a decluttering industry all directed toward making it possible for us to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. These industries that help us deal with all of our stuff so that we can go on collecting more stuff. And this is why, by the way, this parable has been a difficult one for me this week to dive into. I like to collect stuff. I like new things. If I could, I'd be an early adopter on everything. The most expensive moment you can buy anything is when I want to be a part of it. I like having a retirement plan that won't necessarily support me when I retire, if I get to retire, but it'll be something, right? I'd like nothing more to eat, drink, and be merry with all my cool stuff. But there has to be more to this life, right? There has to be. There has to be something different. And whatever you hear me saying this morning, do not hear me saying that Jesus is using this parable to tell the crowds and us that it's not okay to have a 401k or a 403b or a savings account. He's not telling us that we shouldn't save for the future. I think what Jesus is reminding us through this parable of the bigger barns is that our attitudes toward our wealth can affect who we are and how we see those around us. As we read the Gospels, we know that Jesus spent a ton of time at the table, eating and drinking and being merry with all kinds of people, usually the people that the Pharisees suggested were unworthy of this time and this place. This something different that might be part of who we are is expressed in the final verse of this parable. Rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? What if this parable included words like we and our? What if the parable said, I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods for everyone? Does this feel like more of a rich toward God attitude toward possessions? We can also see what rich toward God means by hearing again a portion of Colossians 3 that we heard just a few minutes ago. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Every time we go to Peru, I step off that bus and I'm reminded what it means to set my mind on things above. I'm challenged in my priorities. I question myself about all the things that I consider important to me. It's a shame that I have to go that far to be reminded of that. And trust me, I get it. This can be difficult to hear. It's difficult to face and not try to find a workaround to what Jesus is saying. But the calling of Jesus in Luke 
is not for the faint of heart. It's not for those who would cling to their lives and to their stuff. Luke is convinced that nothing we possess, nothing we plan can possibly give us life. But Jesus can. The call of discipleship in Luke is a call to leave everything, everything behind and follow Jesus. And by God's grace, we might just do it one of these days. Will you pray with me? Creator God, may our priorities be your priorities. Help us, O oh God, to do what you want us to do, to be who you want us to be. In the name of Jesus who calls us, we pray. Amen.